Hello and welcome to the Victory Alabang podcast. You're listening to a message from our preaching series entitled Imago Day. Together, we'll gain a biblical understanding of who we are as humans made in the image of God. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. We are on our third week and the final installment of our Imago Day series. I want to look at the Bible and say about womanhood. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and then we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read a portion of that. So this is a a rather long verse that I'm going to read, so please uh, bear with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Can some people say amen to that? (laughs) I will make him a helper fit for him. And then we're going to jump. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, that your word brings wisdom, that your word brings clarity, your word brings security. Lord, I pray that amidst all the voices that we hear in this generation, I pray that we would hear your word loud and clear, and that you would give us the grace to obey your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, amen. We can all be seated. A couple of years back, I think this was 2016, I read an article from the New York Times that was entitled, very interesting, the title was, When uh, the Year We Obsessed Over Identity. And it's interesting because just from the title itself, we're obsessing about our identity, which probably means that there's a lot of confusion about our identity. Who am I? Who are we? And let me read an excerpt from that article. For more than a decade, we've lived with personal technologies, video games, and social media platforms that have helped us create alternate or auxiliary personas. How many of you could relate with this? Or maybe not you. Maybe you know someone. Virtual reality, for example. You could be this very timid and shy person, and then virtual reality, you're the warrior who will change the world and save the world from extinction. Virtual reality, you have a different persona. Or maybe someone you know that's very silent, very uh, compliant, not very opinionated. And then the online persona. 
keyboard warrior. I mean, we all have that in this generation today. And let me, uh, let me continue the article. He said, we've also spent a dozen years in a daily grip of makeover shows in which a team of experts transforms your personal style, your home, your body, your spouse. So different personas. After centuries of women living alongside men and of the races living adjacent to one another, our rigidly enforced gender and racial lines are finally breaking down. There's a sense of fluidity and permissiveness and a smashing of binaries. We're all becoming one another while well, we are and we're not. As I was reading this, I thought this article seems as confused as <laughs> a lot of people are. We are one and yet we're not one. We are all becoming one, yet we're not all becoming one. And this is the reason why the word trans, how I many of you have ever heard the word trans? Trans is, uh, is common nowadays. If you look at the word trans, that literally means across. And so you use that, transgeneration. How I many of you have ever heard of the term transgeneration? Transgeneration means you go across generational lines. At one day, you're like a boomer, like, uh, <laughs> Pastor Michael, Pastor Paolo, boomers. And then uh, some boomers would say, oh, millennials are like this and millennials are like that. And how many of you here are boomers? Boomers, baby boomer. Gen X, you're Gen X. Uh, how many of you are millennials? Millennials, okay. How many of you are Gen Zs? A boomer who would criticize millennials and then in the same breath would act like a millennial. And the millennials would talk to the boomers, okay, boomer. <laughs> okay, I'm Gen X, I'm not a boomer. Okay, boomer, basta mas matanda, okay, boomer. And then they act like a Gen Xer or a boomer, that's transgeneration. There's what you call transracial, where uh, you're Filipino, you're Asian, maybe you're Chinese. And when you talk, yo, man, yo, ooh, ooh, uh, uh. <laughs> how are you? Uh, because you feel like you're African, and an African would sometimes identify as a white American or a white European or an Asian. That's uh, transracial. And of course, there's transgender where there's fluidity between male and female. I'd like to say, if you are an NBA fan, how many of you here are basketball fans? Do you have basketball fans? I say there's trans NBA teams. Where one day, click the next, you're Cleveland. But then LeBron goes to Lakers, you're Lakers. So now you're Clevers. You're, you're kind of confused and you just go back and forth. That's what it means when you say trans. You go and there's a smashing of boundary lines. And with this, the question is, who are we really? If there's a smashing, there's no clear lines of separation, who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Maybe the bigger and more important question is this, who gets to have the last say on who you are? I can say this is who I am, and you can say this is who I am, and you can say, and then somebody in, in the internet would tell me this is who I am, and then I get confused and I say, I get back home and I think, who is the last say? And usually when it comes to our identity, there are two extremes. First extreme is this. When we allow people to have the final say on who we are. Last week, we've talked about manhood. And I grew up 
in a neighborhood in Manila, at the heart of Manila. It was a tough neighborhood. So I grew up with violence. I grew up looking at men, and I thought because of the social construct of what manhood was, and people are saying, this is what a man is. I thought it's about violence. When I was young, I don't know if, if there are foreigners, uh, you probably would not be able to relate with this, but when you're young, when, in, in our neighborhood, we say, hawakan mo nga yung tenga. Oh, pagka nakawakan yung tenga, nakakalalaki ka. Uh, I don't know how to put that in English. You're manning me, you're mailing me. I don't know, nakakalalaki ka. And so I thought that was it. Or I thought it's about vices. Inumin ang tunay na lalaki. Who says? Can we say chucky inumin ang tunay na lalaki? Why? Why alcohol? Because it's a social construct and people are saying this is what manhood is. Uh, you need to have a girlfriend. I remember when I was in, in college and I didn't have a girlfriend, people are asking me, you don't have a girlfriend? Why? What's wrong with your manhood? So it's defined by your relationship. It's defined by this. And, and for a moment, for a, for a season in my life, I let that define me. I let that define what manhood is to me. One of the things that manhood for me was you don't show emotions. Because my dad, my dad was from the military. He hardly would show any emotion. So here I am. I was already a Christian. I was, I'm already a pastor. And I've got a son, a father, a son. And one time my son went home and he was crying. And I said, come here. And I said, do not ever cry. Boys don't cry from a song. Boys don't cry. And then I thought, no, no, no. That's a social construct. And it was still shaping me. Because what people say have shaped who I was as a man. And I have to renew my mind. Now, this is womanhood. What are the social constructs of womanhood that have shaped women today? Oh, women should play dolls. What if this woman is playing with a ball or with a boxing glove? Oh, that's not womanhood. Or woman's favorite color is pink. What if it's black or blue? Or women when they laugh. Maria Clara Mahinin, hihihi, funny ka. <laughs> Hindi pwedeng, rah! Ay, naku, bruha yan. Di ba? Hala, <laughs> My daughter, my eldest is a, is a girl. My daughter is not any kind of, of this social construct. She grew up, she doesn't like princesses, she likes animals. <laughs> And then she doesn't like pink, she likes blue. <laughs> But she is as woman as a woman can be. So sometimes we allow what people say define us if it's coming from authority figures. And sometimes in a negative way. Uh, the professor would say, you're not smart. And it defines you. Parents would say, you're not going to amount to anything. You're not going to be successful or you're lazy, you're irresponsible. And all your life you're thinking, this is who I am. So we allow that. Now, some of us, as a reaction to that, we go on a swing to the other side and say, I will not allow anyone to define me. I will decide that I will be the last say in who I am. You know what's that called? First, it's called self-determination. When you say, this is who I am, I'm born this way. 
Or another term is expressive individualism. If you've ever said, just do you, just be you, just be yourself, just be true to yourself. You're saying, I am the last say. But you know the problem with that? How do you know who you are? Because a lot of times, when we define ourselves, we define ourselves according to our deepest feelings. You say, uh, who are you? I say, uh, I feel like, I feel like I'm gregarious. I feel like I'm, I'm outgoing. I feel like I'm smart. I feel like it's based on our deepest feelings. But how many of you know that sometimes our deepest feelings can contradict each other? How many of you have ever been in love before? Can you raise your hand? How many of you seated beside someone who's in love right now? You just know. <laughs> We're in love. Have you ever had that? You say, oh, I love this person. And then one time I hate this person. Same person. <laughs> and then I love this person again. <laughs> and then I hate him again. I hate her again. Feelings contradict each other. Uh, let me confess, I am a, a Laker fan. How many of you here are Lakers fans? I'm a Laker fan. And yet, another confession, I don't like LeBron very much. I used to always cheer against him. And now LeBron is part of the Lakers. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to cheer, I'm going to jeer. I, sometimes it contradicts. So who am I? Am I a LeBron hater or a Laker lover? It's hard because a lot of times our deepest feelings are dictated or influenced by our circumstance or sometimes by our culture, our environment. In Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, the term God said was repeated at least 10 times during the account of creation. And I want to say this, since God is the one who made us, then He has the final say on who we are. It's not people, and it's not us, it's God. And that's what we're doing in this series. What does God's Word say about humanity? What does God's Word say about manhood? And today, what does God's Word say about women? What I'm going to talk to you about today is not, of course, not comprehensive, but I hope it will be helpful with the common challenges that women today face. Even though I'm not a woman, I've got women in my life. I've got a mom, I've got a wife, I've got a daughter, I've got friends. But more importantly, it's what God's Word says. So here's the first thing that I found in this text that we read. First, God created women and men wonderfully to reflect God's image. Uh, Bishop Ferdy said it's hard to talk about biblical manhood as separate from biblical womanhood. So it's kind of connected, and you've heard about this the first week from Bishop Manny. We were made in the image of God. Uh, this is interesting. In this verse, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Okay, so when God created everything, he would always end with a benediction. It is good. God creates something. It is good. It is good. Now, how many of you have ever been into a place, and you, 
you had a breathtaking view of nature. How many of you have ever been there? I mean, mountain ranges, and you're like, wow, this is, wow. Or maybe you've been into beaches, and you walk that white sand, and you look, and mountains, and beach, and you just say, wow. When God created all of that, God says, wow, it is good. But there was only one time when God didn't say, wow, it is good. He said, wow, it is very good. When was that? When God was finished creating man. Man means humanity. But who did God create first? Man or woman? He created man. But he waited for the woman. And then he said, very good. No, but it's both of us. <laughs> so you've seen nature and you say, wow, it is good. But you know what God is saying? He's looking at you. He's looking at your neighbor. You look at your neighbor and you say, wow, this is very good. That is the image of God in us that God is looking at. I know we read this verse, Psalm 139. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We have been made wonderfully by God. And here's a fact for every woman in here and every woman would listen to this. Here's a fact. Here's a truth. Every woman is beautiful because everyone is created in the image of God. Let me say that again. Every woman is beautiful because everyone is created in the image of God. Now, this is hard sometimes to believe in a culture that we live in today, isn't it? Where the culture is all about your external looks. There's what you call body shaming. There's this and there's that. Women, I want, I want you to listen to me. Do not let any person make you feel unbeautiful. Because the truth is every person, every woman is beautiful. Every man is handsome. And all the men say, conviction. <laughs> Yet how many women have said, and not just women, but even men. How many women have ever said, if only I were taller. If only I were whiter. If only my nose is longer. So, <laughs> if only my eyelashes are longer. If only my hair is thicker. If only my body is this. If only I have this. If only I was this. If only I have those clothes and those makeup. And if only I had that bag. If some people <laughs> that I know, I know this is none of you. I go to the parlor. And they would look at the magazine. They said, I want to be this. I want to look like this. <laughs> and then after, we don't look alike. <laughs> of course we don't look alike. That's Photoshop. That's everything. So pastor, you mean to say we have to have messed up hair and unkept hair and ugly, dirty clothes for the glory of God. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. NIV version. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, 
such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your what? Inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I mean, think about this. Unfading beauty. If you're a businessman, you're probably thinking, if I can put this in a capsule and I'm going to market it, if you do this, you will be beautiful until you're 150. This is unfading beauty secrets. But it's hard to focus on the internal beauty because we live in a world that's very obsessed with externals. And we're all guilty of it. We look at somebody and externally we judge them. And externally we say, rate this, 1 to 10. Ooh, 9. Ooh, 1.5. What do we rate? We rate the externals. All guilty. Even the prophet Samuel was guilty when he was asked by God, you're going to anoint the next king. Oh, tall, dark, and handsome. Oh, tall, dark, and dark. Oh, oh, this. And God said, no, no, no. You're looking at the externals. I look at the inside. I look at the heart. There's a certain country where it is common for parents to give their children who graduate from high school. The most common gift now is in the form of plastic surgery. And again, what we're not saying is this. We're not against plastic surgery. Sometimes that's needed, and if you want that, but yet if it's common, like if you feel like that's the best gift, and that's probably an obsession with externals. A lot of us would have commercials for beauty products. Oh, you'll have whiter skin. You'll have smoother face if you use this soap. You're going to have tighter tummy. You're going to have thicker hair. And we invest in those, and there's nothing wrong with that. But how many of us invest in, oh, you'll be kinder. Oh, you'll be more gentle. Oh, you'll be more patient. Oh, you'll be more loving. You'll be more self-controlled. You'll be more generous and more giving something that makes your beauty inside in the image of God. Radiate because you are focusing on that. Here's how Peter put it. He said, unfading beauty. Why? External beauty is fleeting. It is short-lived. It will fade. The makeup, you can have the most expensive makeup you put on at the end of the day. It will fade. Or maybe some of the most expensive about one week. Dye your hair different colors. Someday it will turn gray, or someday it will go down. Go down to your face. It's, it will fade. True beauty is internal and unfading. It is God's image radiating out of you. It has got nothing to do with just physical features or certain personalities, but it's got everything to do with having a godly, Christ-like character which really is about the image of God. We reflect that we're beautiful, we're handsome. Second, God created women distinctly from men to multiply God's creation. It says here, male and female, he created them. 
One thing about identity is this. Our identity is so much more than our gender. We've learned that from Bishop Manny the first week. Our gender doesn't define the totality of who we are. Now, having said that, gender is a critical part of who we are. When God created humanity, he did not create a generic humanity. He distinguished them. And if gender is at the heart of our nature, then we risk losing a part of ourselves if we abandon our distinctive maleness and femaleness. If we look at the word of male and female, we're going to see that it is God who created gender. And I want to submit what the word of God says. Gender is not a social construct. Gender is not man-made. It is God-created. Male, female, binary. Two. Same substance, same worth, yet distinct from each other. The word male in Hebrew is zakar, which if you translate into English, defines man anatomically. And the word for female is nekeva, which again in Hebrew defines the female anatomically. So when God created male and female, there was a biological distinction. In other words, there is a physical difference. And that's the reason why right after that, God said, now be fruitful and multiply. Because if there's no anatomical, biological difference, then multiplication will not be possible. There is also a role distinction in marriage. And that's not what we're going to talk about today because this is not a marriage seminar. But what's clear is this. God created male and female to be different. Therefore, gender is not assigned. And gender is not chosen. We don't get to decide our gender. It is God who created our gender. And it's different. If you just look at science, male and female have a very different biological makeup. Some of you are, are uh, science majors. Genetics. If you look at men and women, practically the same set of about 20,000 genes. And yet, if you look at the X and Y chromosome, only the man have the Y chromosome. XX, XY. Different. If you look at the, at the bone structure, we're going to see that males usually have larger bone density and because the structure are different. If you look at the muscle, I mean the muscle of a man, if it's 100%, only two-thirds of the muscle are with a female. And if you look at the genes about 20,000 of them, one-third, about 6,500. The activity of one-third of the genes in a man is very different from the activity of one-third of the genes of a woman. We cannot deny science. Science is a fact. Science is objective. Feelings are subjective. And we cannot just choose our gender based on what we feel. Even if I choose this gender... 
that will not not make me in the gender that God created me in. This is what God said. God created gender. Now, having said that, as a pastor, I understand the reality of gender dysphoria. How many of you ever heard of that term, gender dysphoria? Gender dysphoria is when you know your biological makeup. You see it. You acknowledge it. You know it. And yet your feelings are not aligning to it. You know biological makeup. I'm a male. But my feelings are not male. There's an attraction to the same gender. There's this and and sometimes you can't understand, and, and it's real. And there are different reasons. Some reason is because someone has had a traumatic experience from the past that makes them say, I don't want to be this. Some people are, are in an abusive environment that says, I don't want to be this. I know this is my biological, anatomical Design and yet I don't want to be this. So creates gender dysphoria. But there are some who's got none of those. Some who would say, I grew up in a great family. No trauma, no abuse. Some of them would say, I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in church. Yet what I don't understand is I know my created gender, but why don't my feelings and thoughts align to it? Why is it? And instead of having a discussion and a conversation, we keep it to ourselves because a lot of times, and sadly, this struggle is misunderstood. And sometimes it is misunderstood even in church. And that's sad. Because the explanation of this is like what Bishop Ferdy said, if you drop a glass, it breaks, and if you look at it, every piece of glass is broken differently. And that explains it. Because we're all broken and we are all broken. In our brokenness, sometimes our predisposition is anger and violence. Sometimes in our brokenness, our predisposition is stealing and greed or cheating and lying. Deception and manipulation. Sometimes it's lust and pornography. Sometimes it's same-sex attraction. We're all just broken and broken people. And this is what I love about what Pastor Mark said. It's the grace of God that makes us whole. Amen? And as we're made whole, as a church community, God has called us together to walk together so that we can minister and help each other. Walk out our wholeness. If you're broken in, in a way, whatever your predisposition of your brokenness is and you're struggling, this is a church. There are pastors here who will be willing to pray with you, listen to you, believe with you, and more importantly, walk with you and journey with you. Not just pastors, but we have victory group leaders that are here. So if you need help, go to them. Because this is what the church is for. God created us as whole. We've been broken, but Jesus Christ came to make us whole again. And he has given us a great community so that we could live out our wholeness. Last, 
God created women intentionally as an equal and strong partner of men to fulfill God's purpose. In verse 18, the first malediction in Genesis, in the account of creation, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I mean, think about this. When God created the woman, Adam was sleeping. Adam has got nothing to do with it. Uh, Pastor Joe, I was just talking to Pastor Joseph, and he said in one commentary he read that the, that the audience of this is the ancient Near East, the Babylonians and all that. They believe that when God created, it's male and female right away, man and woman. But this is the only account of creation in the whole of ancient Near East culture where it was separate. God created a man and then God created a woman. It was intentional. It was purposeful because God had a purpose for both of them. It's interesting, the definition or the, or the description of the woman was a fit helper, a helper fit. Let's look at the word fit. The Hebrew is nageh, which literally means in front of, opposite, or counterpart. Which means that woman is an equal match to man. Hey, they're not inferior. They're not second class. They're equals. If you look at a pair of shoes, if you look at them, there's no like, oh, the right is better. <laughs> oh, no, no, the left is greater. It's the same. But together, if you look at it, they're not entirely alike, but yet they're not randomly different. They're different in a way that they complement each other. In the Filipino culture, one of our uh, pastor friends said this. In the Filipino culture, when you say this, it's almost like saying in Tagalog, nakahanap ka ng katapat mo. So that's what the female is to the male. The word helper in Hebrew is ezer. Ezer does not mean helper in the way we understand helper. Right now, helper, oh, it's an assistant. It's someone who's providing support. Helper doesn't connote weakness. Helper doesn't connote inferiority because the word helper is often used of someone who helps or rescues others who are in trouble and are powerless to help themselves. The picture sometimes of this word is a picture of military help, reinforcements without which a battle would be lost or the soldiers on the ground would be killed. I don't know if you've ever watched Black Hawk Down. How many of you ever watched this? These are a group of U.S. Army Rangers who fought against Somali militia fighters. And, and before they know it, everybody's going out. And they, they knew, we're dead, we're dead. They're trying to fight, but they knew they'll be defeated, they'll be annihilated, they will be killed. Until the helicopter came. And the rescue came. And the only reason why they got out of it alive is because there was a helper. There was an ezer. A lot of times, this word ezer, 16 times out of the 21 times it was used in the Bible, is used in reference to God. When he says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It was used 
in reference to God. Women are strong. Women are rescuers. Women are always going to be needed in order for the battle to be won completely and fully. And some women say, <laughs> and this is the reason why even in our ministry, there are a lot of men pastors in our ministry, but if there's going to be an important meeting, if there's going to be an important decision to make, we will never do it without women. They're not just on the side. They're not just there to be quiet and listen and watch. They're not just there to be compliant to whatever decision was made. They're not just there for minor decisions. They're there every step of the way because without them, we will never have complete victory. That's how strong women are. They are invaluable. If we will fulfill the purpose of God in our lives, women are an invaluable help and support. I'm going to end now. If you look at Adam from a romantic love song, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and in the next scene, he was throwing the woman under the bus. God said, what happened? Oh, she did it. Bilis, right? And then from one time she said, you'll be called, whoa, man. Because you came from me. There's this thing with us. We're connected to, what's the name? Oh, Eve, mother, cook, chef, laundry woman. Naming for a function. What happened? What happened is this. What happened is sin that got into the heart. And if you look at the woman, Eve was a suitable helper. Someone who's willing to say, we're going to fulfill the purpose of God. We're going to rule together. We're going to do it together. And, and there's no competition. There's no, there's no jealousy. There's no envy. And then in chapter 3, it says, your desire will be to control. And you say, what happened? From being teammates to competition. From being doing things together to let me be in control. What happened? This is what happened. And we want to go back to who we really are. And we need to go back to someone who can fix our hearts, whether you're a man or a woman. And how do we do that? Last story. One day, Henry Ford, is a movie, Ford versus Ferrari. Henry Ford was driving in a Michigan countryside when he came upon a man whose car had broken down. The guy was bent under the hood trying to figure out what was wrong. So Mr. Ford stopped and asked the man if he could take a look and help. The man said, sure. In a few minutes, the car was running. The grateful owner said, sir, I'm so amazed at your ability. You fixed my car so easily. And Ford looked at the man and smiled and replied, I ought to be able to fix it. Because I'm the one who designed it and created it. If there is something wrong with our manhood, if there's something wrong with our womanhood, if it doesn't align, that's because of sin. And if we want to fix our manhood, if we want to fix our womanhood, the only way is to go to the one who designed us, created us, 
Only He can fix us. The people can never fix us. We can never fix us. We have to go back to God and say, Lord, fix me. Can we all stand? Now we're going to pray. And we just bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. Lord, thank you that you are here and you want to bring healing to where healing is needed. As all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, I want to pray for some of you. Some of you are here and maybe you're a woman, maybe you're a man. But you've, you've had an experience in the past where you've been put down. You've been discriminated of. You, you felt like you've been used and taken advantage of. Or maybe you've been abused. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray that God would heal you and make you whole. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. If that is you, and you're saying, Pastor, I need that prayer of healing. Can you just lift up your hand and allow me to pray for you? Yes. Yes, many hands are raised. Lord, we go back to you. No one can heal us the way you do. No one can fix us. So Lord, I pray that you'd heal every man, every woman who's been looked down upon, who's been used and abused, been taken advantage of, who's been put down, who's been hurt. And that has scarred their manhood, that has scarred their womanhood. Lord, I pray that you'd heal them and I pray that you'd make them whole. Lord, we go to you, our Creator. We're asking that you would put back that image of God, the value and the worth and the respect. Heal us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Another group of people I want to pray for as I end, where all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. Maybe you're here and this is your first time. Or maybe you've been attending. Or maybe you've been attending a victory group. But you have never given your heart and your life fully to Jesus. You've never acknowledged Him as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you this opportunity. The only one who can fix any one of us is Jesus. That was the reason He died. To save us, to make us whole to fix our sinful hearts. Ezekiel said, I will take away your heart of stone and I will give you a new heart. If that is you, you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I need a new heart. I have not received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to make that decision today. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. If that is you, can you just lift up your hand and say, I'm, I'm making that decision today, Pastor. Yes, anyone else? Yes. Many hands are raised. Yes, thank you. Just keep your hands raised and keep both hands raised. And pray this prayer with me. Just repeat it. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you created me in your image. Lord, I acknowledge my sin. And Lord, I'm very sorry for sinning against you. Lord, forgive me for the many times I have broken your heart. Lord, today I repent and turn away from my sins. And Lord, I'm asking you, heal me, fix me, fix my heart, and give me a new heart. Lord, today as I open my heart to you, I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In 
Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Keep your hands raised. Lord, thank you for your grace to respond. Lord, I pray that you would give them friends, would help walk out their decision every day of their lives. Lord, thank you that your grace is more than enough, that Christ is sufficient, and they will be able to reflect you in their lives from this day on for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.vicryalabang.church. Thank you.